We're on part six, and I believe the final part of a series looking at, at what it means as a Christian to be wise amongst all the challenges of, of 21st century living. Obviously, there's no way we could cover every aspect of what is a vast topic. So many different possible scenarios and nuances and intricacies. But we can lay a foundation. What is our pursuit of wisdom, our journey into wisdom, going to be built upon? So just a quick brief recap. We spent the first couple of weeks from James chapter 3 looking at what he describes as wisdom from above. And he contrasts that with with what he calls earthly and unspiritual and even demonic pseudo-wisdom, if you like. Message three was the fear of the Lord is the foundation. The message four was the word of God is the filter. Last week we had Emily, and this week we're on the third of my trio, which is trusting in the Lord is the anchor. Trusting in the Lord is the anchor. Sounds like a simple statement. I don't think it's a particularly controversial one, standing here in a Christian church on a Sunday morning. But we're going to see today why that that has to be one of our key building blocks. We'll see how how that stake-in-the-ground decision to trust God, how that acts like an anchor. And when we choose not to trust, or when we choose to trust in anything or anybody else, we cut ourselves adrift. Let's just paint a picture for you for a minute, a couple of slides coming up here. Um, The image that that probably comes into your head, certainly the image that comes into mine, is is mooring your sailing boat up at the end of the day, sliding the anchor off the side in a harbor, in a a bay, on on a peaceful lake. You barbecue the fish you just caught, have a quiet night, and sleep like a baby. Sounds idyllic. But here's a more realistic picture. That anchor is nothing short of your lifeline. When the storms come, and they will, when the rain comes lashing, and the winds are whipping, and the thunder crashing, and the lightning flashing, when opposition rises up, when setbacks compound, when stress squeezes, when you face dilemmas and difficulties and dangers, if you do not have that anchor, deep and strong and firm, you will be tossed to and fro. You may even be capsized be lost at sea. 
Here's the good news. If that anchor is firm and in place, it doesn't matter what life throws at you or what the enemy throws at you or frankly what you throw at yourself. You will stay safe and stable and secure because trust in God acts as an anchor. Holding everything together. Keeping everything in place. Putting everything in its proper perspective. Here's a big line for you that you can chew on over the course of the week or the next 20 minutes. Your stability does not depend on your circumstances. It depends on your anchor. Look at me and say, Pastor James, that was so deep. Your stability does not depend on your circumstances. It depends on your anchor. And if your anchor is trust in the Lord our God, it will hold. It will hold. If it's trust in anything else, then you are at risk. But here's the good news. Here's a a fact we need to establish right from the get-go. You can trust in him. You can. You can trust in him always. You can trust in him every time. You can trust in him no matter what because he is God Almighty. He just sung those songs. A couple of verses. Deuteronomy 32 verse 4. He is the rock. His works are perfect and all his ways are just. A faithful God who does no wrong. Upright And just is he. Could you think of any good reason why you wouldn't want to trust in that God? Here's another one. Psalm 145, verse 13. Your kingdom is an everlasting kingdom, and your dominion endures through all generations. Here we go. The Lord is trustworthy in all he promises, and faithful in all he does. And I'm struggling to resist here. The temptation of every preacher to say, would you like me to define the word all? Okay, so here's our proverb for today. It's going to come as a great shock to you. But it's Proverbs 3, verses 5 and 6. And in the New International Version, it says, Trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways, submit to him. He will make your paths straight. You know, as I say frequently, that passage fits into every message. You know, that's one of your, your desert island disc verses, if you like. But I want you to notice that there's a flow, there's a sequence in those short two verses. The sequence is this. Number one is this. The number one decision that you make should... Indeed, must be a determination to trust God with all your heart. Every time. Whatever the circumstances, no matter how loud your flesh is screaming, number one decision should indeed must be to trust God with all our heart. And then the second part, 
is this. In driving that stake into the ground, we, we make a second decision. And the second decision is choosing not to lean on their own understanding. Anyone else in here a leaner? However tempting it might be to lean, cling to that anchor. And the anchor is that God is good, that he is for you, and that he always knows best. And then the sequence, number three, first part of verse six, in all your ways submit to him. Looked up this word submit, it literally means to know him. To know him by perception, by discernment, and by experience. It means to recognize and to acknowledge him. And it says, in all your ways. I looked up the word ways, literally means on your road, on your journey, in your habits, in the course of your life, in your moral character, know The Living Translation says, seek his will in all you do. The CEV, always let him lead you. And then that leads finally in our flow and our process to number four. He will make your paths straight. That's all we want, isn't it? The clarity, the confidence to know that we are heading in the right direction. So there's a clear flow, clear, clear sequence here, and it makes perfect sense, I think. But here's where it all breaks down. We expect God to make our path straight. The key word there is the word expect. We expect God to make our, word, our path straight. But in reality, we're not doing Proverbs 3, 5, and 6. We don't really know him. We forget to acknowledge him. So we flip-flop between his will and ours, back and forth. Too often we choose to go our own way, led astray by all sorts of opinions and options and temptations. So all that shows, all that shows that when push comes to shove, we do not really trust God, because that's the stake in the ground. That is where it all begins. So herein lies one of the great keys to wisdom. Trust is the anchor. Let me read you a couple of really strong verses. Three verses. Jeremiah 9, 23, 24. This is what the Lord says. And all God's people's ears pricked up, because the Lord was speaking. Don't let the wise boast in their wisdom. Great start. Or the powerful boast in their power. Or the rich boast in their riches. But those who wish to boast should boast in this alone, that they truly know me. God speaking. They truly know me and understand that I am the Lord who demonstrates unfailing love and who brings justice and righteousness to the earth. Psalm 20 verse 7. I can hear you all humming it as we read it out. Some trust in chariots and some trust in horses. Some trust in big bank accounts. Some trust in power. Some trust in their own flesh. 
we trust in the name of the Lord our God. They are brought to their knees and fall, but we rise up and stand firm. Isaiah 26, verse 3, you will keep in perfect peace those whose minds are steadfast because they trust in you. Verse 4, trust in the Lord forever, for the Lord, the Lord himself, is the rock eternal. Okay, so, so if trust is the anchor, what, what's that got to do with wisdom? And the answer is this. A choice to trust God will always lead you toward wisdom. The flip is that doubting or mistrusting or ignoring God will always lead you away from wisdom. And dare I say, into foolishness. And so trust, a little picture here on the screen, trust, if you like, becomes the third leg on our wisdom chair. Can I have my chair? Next one. There it is. There you go. The third leg on our wisdom chair. No chair chopping today, I'm afraid, Jeremy. Uh, fear of the Lord is one leg, and the word of God is the second leg, and then trusting in the Lord is the third leg that makes that chair secure and strong and stable. I reckon we could summarize this in these three statements. Statement number one is you make, we make, we all make, I make far wiser decisions when you trust God to fix it rather than trying to fix it yourself. And all God's people groaned, said amen. I have learned this lesson through the bitter pill of experience. Number two, you make far wiser decisions when you go the word way rather than the world way. See what I did there? Like that? Preacher 101. And number three, you make far wiser decisions when you trust the impulse of the spirit rather than the instinct of the flesh. Quickly spend a couple of minutes on each of those and then we'll pull this all together. Number one, you make far wiser decisions when you trust God to fix it, rather than trying to fix it yourself, your own way, with your own bright ideas, and in your own strength. Here's a little verse that I love. Isaiah 55, verse 8, also found with me on my desert island. For my thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are your ways my ways, declares the Lord. As the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways and my thoughts higher than your thoughts. And as I always like to say, when God in this verse says higher, he is being polite. So there has to be this stake in the ground, revelation right from the start, which is as Ray McCauley says, God is cleverer than me. I thought we, we'll try this. Please don't be offended. Re re repeat the following little ditty prayer after me. Goes like this. My brain is slightly larger than a pea. God is infinite, eternal, and omniscient. 
and he knows best, period. So in what ways and in, under what circumstances we tend to trust ourselves? If trusting ourselves is going to lead us away from wisdom. If trusting in God is going to lead us towards wisdom. What ways? Lots of ways, really. I thought of three obvious ones. The first one is impatience. It's so tempting, isn't it, to, to give God a helping hand, to give him a nudge. Sometimes we feel God needs a bit of a hurry up. I wrote here in my notes, forgive me, I love God dearly, but frustratingly, he doesn't always work at my pace. Always come back to that lovely line in that Hillsong song song called He's Real. He's never early and he's never late. I have noticed that God is never early. But the good news is he is also never late. So in what ways do we tend to trust ourselves? It's just that impatience, isn't it? You know, it's, it's taking too long here. You know, God, I, I, I know you're well-intentioned, God, but we need to get there already. I need to solve this problem now. I need to deal with this pain now. And so we give it that nudge, and we start to do it ourselves, start to try and fix it ourselves, and that leads us out of God's will and into our own. And I reckon that's a dangerous place. I speak from experience. So number one is impatience. Number two, I put down as, as vengeance and unforgiveness. You know, we take offense. We won't let go. We refuse to forgive and bitterness sets in and we forget what God said. What did God say? God said, vengeance is mine, saith the Lord. I will repay. Jeremiah 12, sorry, Romans 12, 19, quoted out of the Old Testament. You know, this, this idea that I, I, I'll just blow it, I'll just fix it myself. I'll zap them myself. I'll expose them myself. Here's the line. Wisdom trusts doesn't meddle. And the number three, I reckon, is is we, we tend to, to trust or to follow our own fears, however those fears manifest themselves. You know, we know, don't we, that fear would always lead us away from God. So it always leads us away from the Word, always leads us away from wisdom, it leads us away from faith. Fear leads us into isolation. It leads us into indecision. It leads us into insecurity. It leads us off the solid rock and onto the quicksand. But the trouble is, of course, that fear shouts and fear tugs and fear nags. Because we are called to trust in God. Each of those three scenarios, impatience and vengeance and trusting our fears, the wise way is to trust God. Back to Proverbs 3, 5, and 6. It's to let go of that, that need, that desire to kind of fix everything for ourselves. But I've got some good news for you. I have found it a great relief and a great relief to know that God is cleverer than me. And do you know what? I don't need to have all the answers. good news is that we can trust God. Take a deep breath just for a second. 
say to yourself, I trust you, Lord. Come and say it, I trust you, Lord. You feel better already, don't you? That was better than the P one, I admit. That was number one. Number two, you make far wiser decisions when you go the word way rather than the world way. Matthew 7, 24, Therefore, everyone Jesus said who hears these words of mine, you know this parable, and puts them into practice like a wise man who built his house on the rock. We've already, already established, haven't we, the storms are going to come, but every time you choose the word, you take a step onto the rock, and into peace and joy, and into stability and security. But every time you reject or ignore or forget the word, you take a step off the rock and onto the sand, and into danger into vulnerability, into bondage. Jesus said, verse 26 of Matthew 7, anyone who hears it and doesn't do it is foolish. Here's the point. Do you trust God enough? Do you trust God enough to choose the word every time? But more often than not, our, our decision to choose the world way or our decision to choose the word way comes down to trust. Here are some telling questions. Do I trust that God knows best? Do I trust that God's way works? These are fundamental questions. Do I trust that God is for me? Do I trust enough to wait? Good question. Will I still trust him even if he says no? Do I trust him enough to recognize there may be a greater win than the one I see? And if we had time, we could have pulled out scripture after scripture to underpin and to back up each of those questions and statements. So, are we going to choose the word way or are we going to choose the world way? The expectation the word way will lead us into wisdom, the worldly way, not so sure. So I entertained myself this week. It's a long week. A long time staring at my laptop. So for a bit of fun, I looked up a list of pithy little worldly proverbs, of which there are many. Um, I'm going to list a few. You've probably heard them. You may well even have quoted them. Uh, and what we have here is a few examples of where we'll, we'll call it pop culture wisdom tries to take us in one direction while the word decisively takes us in another. I'm going to give you my top ten. Actually, it's a really good connect group exercise. This week, I asked the Bible what it says about each of these. And I'm going to resist the temptation to go into these too uh, deeply because they entertain me. Number one, a leopard cannot change its spots. Do you know what those scriptures say? Okay, write them down, look them up. I think they might be on your handout. A problem shared is a problem halved. 
What does the Bible say? Cast all your cares on him. And he will sustain you. Number three, beauty is in the eye of the beholder. 1 Samuel 16, 17. God doesn't look at the outside. God looks on the heart. God helps them that help themselves. Don't know where to begin with that one. Perhaps Proverbs 3, 5, and 6 would be a good place there. Here's another one. Ignorance is bliss. How many times have you said that? Folks, ignorance is not bliss. Ignorance is ignorance. <laughs> Psalm 14, verse 1. A fool says in his heart there is no God. Money makes the world go round. God makes the world go round. I read it in the Bible. Here's another one. Revenge is a dish best served cold. There's worldly wisdom for you, folks. What would the Bible say about that? We've already been there. Letter H. The end justifies the means. Interesting. What you don't know can't hurt you. I reckon it can hurt you. Hosea 4, 6. My people are destroyed through lack of knowledge. John 8, 32. You will know the truth and the truth will set you free. And then the last one. You have to kiss a lot of toads before you find a handsome prince. <laughs> I couldn't find any Bible references to that one. It made me smile. You make far wiser decisions. A lot of women shaking on their heads going, ain't that the truth? I'd buy him that one. Okay, number three, you make far wiser decisions when you trust the impulse of the spirit rather than the instincts of the flesh. Let's unpack that one a little bit. Romans 8, verses 6 through 9. The mind governed by the flesh is death. But the mind governed by the spirit is life and peace. The mind governed by the flesh is hostile to God. It does not submit to God's law, nor can it do so. Those who are in the realm of the flesh cannot please God. Verse 9, you, however, are not in the realm of the flesh, but are in the realm of the Spirit, if indeed the Spirit of God lives in you. Moral of the story, he is the Spirit of wisdom and revelation, and he will always lead you to better places. He will always lead you towards God, to, to the Word. He will lead you towards peace and into grace. He will lead you to reconciliation and redemption. Psalm 23, he will lead you to green meadows and still waters along the paths of righteousness to comfort, to anointing, to goodness and mercy and love. The flip is that the flesh, impetuosity and impatience, self-preservation and self-promotion, anger and lust and envy, they will always lead you away from God, towards fear, towards overreaction, towards defensiveness, towards negativity, and ultimately into sin and bondage and regret. That's why in Romans 8 it says the flesh is at enmity to God. 
And so, you know what it's like in, in the whim of the moment, in that crunch point, when that wound is jabbed, when your equilibrium is threatened, when your opinions are challenged, the flesh will cry out, saying, follow me, follow me, follow me, pick me. The flesh will cry out, but it is rarely wise. So by contrast, if you, if you take time to press pause and to listen to the still, small voice, to the whisper of the Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit is always wise. And he will lead you towards the character of God. He will remind you of the promises of God. He will produce in you the fruit of the Spirit of God. All of which is a really good thing. So to summarize that, if you anchor everything to an unshakable trust in God, if you anchor everything to an unshakable trust in God so you are not moved by fleeting circumstances, you are not moved by the enemy's lies, you are not moved by flesh's tug, the Holy Spirit will lead you into the Word and he will lead you into wisdom. Every time you loosen that tether, every time you pull up that anchor, you jeopardize wisdom. And you're increasingly likely to fall into deception, to fall into error, and to fall into foolishness. And who wants to do that? Okay, pastor, I get it. I get it. I understand the principle. How do I get to that point where my trust in God is stronger and more powerful and more decisive than anything else? How do I get that anchor so deep, so strong, no one or nothing can rip it up? How do I get to the point where I'm able to give up trusting myself to fix it whenever the going gets tough? Because my trust is deeply and firmly and unshakably rooted in him. Good question? I'm glad you asked. And the answer to that question is this. Trust comes out of relationship, right? Pretty simple. Trust comes out of relationship. I'm going to tell you a little story, give you a little example. Um, back when I was at Living Faith Christian Church on Main Street, Her Ontario Street, Collingwood, Ontario. Uh, there's a picture, actually, if you wouldn't mind popping it up there. Um, you can see where my guitar is there, and you can see where my music stand is. See, above that is a honking big television. You know, we're not talking about a flat screen here. That weighed more than three adult rhinos. And there it was, slight exaggeration, suspended over my head. And here I am on the first Sunday with my guitar in my hand, leading praise and worship, feeling, if I'm honest, a little bit daunted. Because if that television falls, there is only going to be one winner. If you thought the sermon was flat before that, anyway... I'll be honest, I was a little bit nervous until I knew who was responsible for hanging it there in the first place. His name was John Betancourt. And once I knew John's experience and his skills 
Once, once I'd seen him in action and how thorough and meticulous he was, once I'd seen the quality of the tools he used and the size of the anchors he used to hang that television in place, I could walk under that television with great confidence because I knew John. And in fact, John Betancourt went through, on through all sorts of home improvement projects for us as a family. Here's the point. You can trust God. And here's the line. The better you know him, the better you know him, the more you will feel able to trust him. I mean, the reality is God is God. You, we, we can trust him. But, but we need to feel able to trust him. And that comes out of relationship. And so we need to feed and we need to nurture and we need to grow that relationship. Once I knew, once I really knew John Betancourt, I, I was happy to trust his workmanship. And once you truly know God, you'll be confident to trust his. And the best decision you could possibly make is I am going to trust God whatever, however, whenever. Really, really quickly. How, how, how do we grow that trust in God? Same old answers. Number one, feed on the word. Romans 10, 17. Faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. I was taught faith cometh by hearing and hearing and hearing and hearing and hearing and hearing and hearing hearing by the word of God. Subtle, I know. We need to feed on that word. We need to read the Gospels to catch his heart. We need to read the Proverbs to learn of his wisdom. We need to read the book of Acts to see how the power of God works. We need to read the book of Exodus to see how God came through for his people every single time. How do we grow that trust? Number one, we feed on the word. Number two, be a worshiper. Keep on singing those great big God songs. The ones that tell you how great thou art. Repeated principle all the way through the book of Psalms particularly is keep reminding yourself what God has done. Number three, dialogue in prayer. This is where it gets deep and personal. Seek his face. We sang that this morning, I think. Seek his face. Ask him the key questions. Take every opportunity that you have to draw near. What does James say? Draw near to God and he will draw near to you. Take every opportunity to draw near. And the fourth one on my light and quick list is spend time with people of faith. Hang out with those people who already have that level of trust, who already have the strong faith that you desire. It also means you might need to cut off some of the influences that work in reverse that actually diminish and weaken and decrease your faith in your trust. But let's finish with some good news. The good news is, one last time, you can trust in God. You can trust, number one, in his love. His love is unfailing. I did a word search this week. 73 times the book of Psalms describes his love as unfailing. And you can trust in his presence. What does the Bible say? Never will he leave you. Never. Nor forsake you. 
You can trust in his sovereignty. He is before all and he is above all. You can trust in the cross. It was his own words. He said, it is finished. You know, you can trust in his victory. It is total and complete and absolute. You can trust in his promises. They're yes and amen in Christ. And you can trust in his wisdom. Because that wisdom is utterly superior. And the good news is it's also readily available. Okay. Let's wrap this up this morning. How do we respond to that? Perhaps the worship team would like to wriggle their way to the front and get ready. That would be great. Just um, three, three response questions that I'd encourage you to ponder. Uh, take them to the Lord. See if he's got anything to say to you. Hopefully he already has through the middle of all this. Question number one. Do you really trust him? Do you really trust him? And push comes to shove. When it's squeezing, when it's stressing, when it's emergency, when it's important, do you really trust God? Because trust is the anchor. So the question is, do we really trust him? The following question is, what do I need to do this week? What do I need to, what can I do to, to feed that relationship? Because trust comes out of strong relationship. You need to invest in that relationship. I think a really great place to start, folks, this morning is do I really trust him? Really trust him. Question number two, a little saucy. How readily are you seduced and suckered into trusting yourself? It's all very well and good on a Sunday morning at 11.20 to amen, praise the Lord, great preaching, pastor. We trust God. God is great. How easy are you seduced and suckered off that into trusting yourself? And so what if you've done that? If you're doing that right now, if you're susceptible to that, my advice to you would be to get on your face this morning, get on your knees and pray a prayer of consecration and pray a prayer of surrender that goes something like this. Today, I choose to trust you. Great prayer. And then question number three, kind of zooming it right now into your circumstances, where you are right now, what's coming tomorrow morning, what's right around the next corner. Given what you are facing right now, what does it mean to trust him? There are various paths ahead. He wants to make your path straight, but it starts with trusting him. So with that in mind, as we worship for a little bit longer here, ask God what that means. What does it mean to trust you? And then my advice to you would be to grab hold of that anchor and whatever you do, 